0: Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker. I'm Alex Andreu and here with me with six sleeps to go is a gently defrosting Gavin Esler.
1: Morning Gavin. Good morning. I am gently defrosting. I'm also gently having a <laughs> cold, but it's a good proper British cold, so I'm I'm okay really.
0: Gavin, first things first, did you watch the World Cup final?
1: I did. Yes, I really enjoyed it actually. What a, you know, it was everything that you want in football, if uh, perhaps not the result if you're if you're French, but just to see the way in which the game moved backwards and forwards. Two great goalkeepers, two great goal scorers. I mean, just fantastic. I loved it.
0: Yeah, we never, almost never get that in finals, do we? They're they're usually quite cagey, dull affairs. This seemed to be uh, Messi versus Mbappé at times, plus supporting cast, wasn't it? It it Um, did, yeah, absolutely. How do you think
1: Qatar has come out of the tournament in general? Well, it could have been a lot worse in some ways. I think, look, I think Qatar comes out of it the way Qatar went into it, which is an extremely rich Middle Eastern country with certain interests, and they promoted them as much as they could. And other people will take views about Qatar and, uh, and how it, you know, it's kind of moral sense and how it treats people. So I don't, I don't, to be honest, I don't think it means much, makes much difference. I don't think you're going to be going to hol- for a holiday in Qatar because of it. Do
0: you think that if a connection is proved between Qatar and the current EU corruption scandal that seems to be going on, it has the potential to do a lot of reputational damage?
1: Yes, that's very interesting, isn't it? And it's not just that. I mean, there've been a number of cases of you know, people with suitcases full of full of money, dollars mostly, uh, going around, and I'm not quite clear what to make of it. I'm also not quite clear what they were hoping to get out of it. I mean, the European Parliament, I think, is a good, broadly a good thing, but it's not the most important legislature in the world. It's uh, it has its significance, but I, I don't quite understand what's behind this story. It just looks very dodgy.
0: Is there a sense of a little bit of hypocrisy there in that you know? There is a sort of Middle Eastern way of doing things that involves suitcases full of cash. But had they set up a a sort of think tank and taken everyone out to expensive lunches and jollies,
1: they'd have been all right. As it were, yeah. I think I think you I think you're absolutely right. And it's not as if it's simply Qatar and the EU. Uh, there have been cases, as we know, where charities connected to uh, the current king have received large donations, and there appears to be nothing wrong with that. And they've been large donations, as I understand it, at least one case reported in a suitcase. Nobody's ever given me a suitcase full of money. I await the. <laughs> I await the. Uh, you know. I, If there's anybody listening who's got a whole (laughs) suitcase full of dollars, I'll I'll give them an address later. But it does seem an odd way of doing business, but it's the way in which things have been done in the Middle East for for years, partly because Mm. Middle Eastern currencies and uh, political unrest and so on have meant that gold and dollars are the currencies that actually
0: work. Now, we usually would be sort of moving on to a separate topic to talk. Politics, but Gary Neville has provided a bit of a perfect segue. Um, he said during ITV coverage that as long as, as well as looking at, at other workers' rights in places like Qatar, we also must reflect on the attack on workers' rights going on at home. Right-wing papers today are losing their head and slamming him, but public response seemed to me to be much friendlier. Should footballers use their platform or just stick to explaining the offside rule?
1: I think footballers or anybody who's got a platform should use their platform. I mean, you could say, should newspapers just shut up about uh, things that they don't know about? Like most of them don't seem to know very much about Harry and Meghan, <laughs> frankly. Uh, I don't think anybody who's writing about it has actually met them. I certainly haven't. And But I should say as an aside, I have managed to save a great deal of time to do other things by not reading anything, either for or against. Um, in terms of Gary Neville, of course he should be able to say that. if he, he's He's he 's got a platform and 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 that's absolutely fine and for for newspapers or some newspapers to rant about it is just the ultimate in hypocrisy. I mean are we really to believe that they should have a platform those newspapers who are run by people who are not even resident in the country for tax purposes should have a platform to talk, talk about workers' rights or otherwise or Gary Neville but Gary Neville shouldn't be allowed to talk about it that's ridiculous.
0: Yes, I imagine if a prominent sports person wrote a piece about how Gary Neville is wrong and people shouldn't be striking, they'd print it quite happily. On the strikes, Gavin, government seem to be digging in against nurses with Oliver Dowding doing the the Sunday media rounds. But the Monday papers report there are cracks in cabinet and pressure on Health Secretary Stephen Barclay to meet with nurses again do you think government is beginning to worry about its approach
1: to this? Well, I mean, we have got a government which is, if you look at all the opinion polls, is not trusted by most British people. And we've got a group of people, nurses, who are regarded as, you know, in that almost pejorative term now, angels. They are regarded as some, as the absolutely most wonderful public service workers you can imagine. So I think the government is in real difficulty here. Take a step back. We just do not spend enough on healthcare compared to Germany or France. We just don't have enough hospital beds compared to Germany or France. Germany does not have a winter beds crisis every year as we do because I'm afraid Germany has got eight beds Per thousand people, and we've got 2.5 beds per thousand people. So we just need Mm. to spend more.
0: You don't think, as John Redwood suggested, the
1: the solution is just buying more beds? Buying more beds, yes. And then obviously, (laughs) these invisible nurses that we don't have, because some have left to go back to EU countries, and because others are not coming here because the pound has gone down, they can make more money somewhere else. These invisible nurses will all tend to us. I mean, mean, you know. (laughs) Look, John Redwood is one of those people who was so in favour of Brexit. Let's have the three hundred and fifty million pounds we supposed to have been giving every week to the EU. Let's have it spent. That'd be eighteen billion a year on the nurses, but it doesn't exist. So they live in complete fantasy land, I'm afraid. And the nurses remain extremely popular. And the whole hypocrisy of clapping for carers during the coronavirus crisis and not paying them. Now, I'm not suggesting that what they are demanding is something that the public purse can probably afford. It is quite high. But that's an opening bid, isn't it? I mean, that's how negotiations work. Exactly. And negotiations being the operative word, where are the negotiations? I mean, to go in and spend 30 minutes listening to Steve Barclay opine about this is probably not the best way forward, I suspect. Mm, Yes, I think, I, I mean, my own view is that if you can only afford to
0: offer public servants 2%, at a time when inflation is running over 10 the solution is to find more money probably through taxation yes. rather than to become an exploitative employer you know government should not be a, a scummy sweatshop yeah, it, should be, exactly. it should set the example for other businesses on how to behave rather than be the worst um, of them.
1: Yeah, exactly. The mm. the word public and public services does seem to me to be rather important here. That is something that the mm. public cares about as well. What other strikes are coming up this week, do we know? I'm afraid we do. I mean, there's not a general strike, but the ones I've noted are driving test examiners, the railways again, the nurses, of course, bus strikes, tube strikes in London, Royal Mail, Border Force. I think there's some strikes or industrial action in the Environment Agency as well, and that's just the ones I've noted, mm. noticed. Mm. So it's hardly surprising when people feel really, really squeezed, see the prices in the supermarket and think, why am I not paid more?
0: Yes, I, I am quite surprised. I mean, it would, be a, it would be a cynical and terrible thing to do, but I am quite surprised the government hasn't sort of gone for the, for the low-hanging fruit of offering nurses a decent deal so they accept it. And letting the other groups dangle, which do enjoy less sympathy from the public, that would seem to, to me to be the really obvious thing to do politically. Yeah, but I agree. Decided I agree. To, to have a fight with nurses it just seems bizarre. It does seem bizarre. Um, yeah. There's also a, a bunch of opinion polling that's showing a, a sort of mini surge for the Reform Party, which is the... Brexit party as was, which is UKIP as was. How significant is it that reform is standing on a platform that seeks to outflank the Tories from the right on almost every issue, but
1: argues for a raise for nurses? Well, I mean, they're, the reform party is in a position where they can promise anything because they're probably not going to go very far. But they will pick off some conservative supporters on the right. I mean, the thing is, when I listen to Richard Tice and his, his fellow fellow travellers, I keep thinking it's just like listening to the old Marxists of 20 or 30 years ago saying the trouble with communism is it's never been tried properly. So Tice is one of those. The trouble with Brexit is if we'd only done it properly, like I would have done it, it's just <laughs> moronic. And, yes. um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure, Mr. Tice will enjoy the, the idea of me linking him up with uh, the Trotskyite tendency and saying that uh, if we'd only done it properly in the first place, it would all be fine. <laughs> the problem is not with the actual implementation. The problem is that Brexit itself is a disaster. And most of us are beginning to wake up to that fact.
0: Mm, yes, ditto with... Certain think tanks claiming that Trastronomics was brilliant, it just wasn't done well. You mention Brexit. Did you watch Reece Mogg being roasted on Question Time? The 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 shift of public opinion on Brexit
1: does seem now pretty big and pretty undeniable, doesn't it? Yes, I think so. I think I think you know, in the end, reality bites. We have noticed that things are worse than they could be. We have noticed that we 2022 has been a year of self-harm for Britain, if you look back at the year, endless self-harm. So the the savaging of, of re-smog, I, I I should say, I don't actually watch Question Time. It's one of the other things I don't bother doing in order to have more time to do interesting things. <laughs> but you're right, the debate has changed. The B word, is, which was never mentioned, oh, we can't actually link Brexit to the fact huge queues of lorries at dover or we can't the lack of nurses or the fact that eu workers are not picking stuff in our fields we're now doing that because we've noticed uh, and we've also noticed that every other country is suffering from the energy problems and the war in ukraine and so on every other country in europe but we are particularly bad and we're particularly Mm. bad because of brexit
0: on assorted other government in trouble topics meteorologists have been blamed for gas shortages apparently by predicting a mild winter they made government be poorly prepared any any thoughts
1: well i th- i love that <laughs> don't you let's let's <laughs> let's blame the met men and met women for the weather for failing to predict it i i just i mean that is clutching at straws is it not seriously uh, how can they possibly do this I think we should blame the sick for being sick. That's what the problem is with hospitals, people getting <laughs> sick. We should blame them. It's well, definitely their fault for turning up in hospitals.
0: Well, bed bed blocking sort of is that. It is blaming the sick for being sick, or rather the, the old for being old.
1: Yeah, um, exa- exactly. Rather than the governments for never actually thinking through social care and doing joined up. Uh, I mean, look, I love the NHS. It saved my life when I was three weeks old. I was very ill. I had a had an operation and I managed to survive, so I love it. But it do, it does need a more money, but not just more money. It doesn't does need reform. It does need joined up thinking. It does need links with with social care in ways that have have not happened, but have been obvious to people for many years. And it is actually probably quite boring. You know, the ins ins and outs of uh, how to reform the NHS will be very, very difficult. And if it's a Labour government, and Keir Starmer goes ahead with Mm. some of his ideas, they will be very controversial too. But something needs to be done.
0: I mean, an actual recruitment and retention strategy would be a good start, I think, because you have the the ridiculous spectacle now of the the Secretary of State for Health saying, oh, we can't pay nurses more because we have to use that money to open more diagnostic hubs. And you just think, you know, the NHS at the moment has over 130,000 vacancies, a vacancy rate of almost 10%. Who's going to staff these diagnostic hubs? You know, if you don't have the personnel, you have nothing. You just have empty buildings.
1: Well, Alex, fortunately, the forty new hospitals that were going to be built just don't exist. So, other, that would actually make the problem much worse, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, they can be non-existent hospitals with non-existent staff. Uh, well, if only we were non-existent patients. Uh, that's that's, that's <laughs> again, it's, it's my fault. I've got a cold. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: Sunak has ordered an audit of aid to Ukraine so far. Is that an innocent being responsible with public money move? Or, or do you sense some fear, some kind of ulterior motive?
1: Do you know, I, I actually I have some sympathy with this. I mean, I know uh, Sunak does approach things with an accountant's brain, and frankly, there's nothing wrong with that, I think. Are we getting, you know, are we doing the right thing with Ukraine broadly? Yes. Are we doing it in the right way? I don't know. Is it costing too much or should we put more money in, or could we do it more efficiently? I think that's a reasonable, that's a reasonable thing for Sunak as Prime Minister of our country to want, as long as he is not weakening on support. I mean, my worry for 2023 is that Donald Trump proved with his slogans that we have worldwide kind of the attention span of a gnat, you know, when he could change the mm. world's conversation with a Twitter account we have to continue to pay attention to Ukraine and we have to worry about it because it's our front line too. And if people become bored with Ukraine, oh gosh, it's just some far away country, all that stuff. That's a problem. So if Sunak is actually just trying to see, are we doing the right thing? Could we do it better? That's fine. I don't sense there's any weakening. And again, I don't think the British public have tired of this at all. I think most of us get it.
0: Yeah, I, I think I tend to agree. It's a big ticket item. There's nothing wrong with exploring whether the money is used in the best way possible. There's also Suela Braverman. She came out fighting in an interview for the Sundays defending her language of invasion. The High Court is due to rule this morning and, and has probably ruled by the time people listen to this on the legality of the Rwanda policy. Would it going either way affect things majorly, do you think?
1: Well, I think it. Maybe not, because, uh, you know, the, the high court will be small c conservative and will tend to say we don't rewrite government policy because we're the courts and we just look at the law. So it may go on to further appeals. I mean, uh, this this one could could run for quite a bit. It always was, you know, whether you think it's inhumane or not, and I, I'm of the view that sending people to Rwanda is a very, very odd thing to do, frankly, especially when we have a home secretary who is clearly not master of her brief she doesn't seem to understand exactly what she's she's doing however to go ahead with a with this kind of policy to give to suggest that we can pay a lot of one money to rwanda and somehow solve a problem which is a european problem and it's partly because again it's partly because of brexit because we're not part of previous agreements it's also partly mm. because of the rather stupid way in which we've irritated the French 26 miles away. So I'm not minimising how difficult this is. And indeed, I live very close to the beaches in Kent, where I can see sometimes uh, the helicopters going out and I can see the boats, actually, the little boats coming across the the channel. So this is a very, very difficult problem. I think going at it from another angle... Albanians, why are they coming here? Do they really have uh, uh, cause to to flee their country? Well, possibly not in many, many circumstances. It's much more complex. And Braverman doesn't seem to be able to grip the nuances of this or understand exactly what the hmm. problem is. And then, you know, you get a, a case like we had last week
0: with a, a sort of small um, boat in trouble and people having to be rescued from it. And there were very few Albanians among them. That rather goes against the rhetoric. You know, The, the, the uh, majority were actual people from Afghanistan, a country to whom we've made quite broad promises to do with people who helped us during our efforts out there and then created a sort of approved scheme for them to apply after the, the withdrawal was largely botched, that is inaccessible. I mean, you have to cross the border to another country in order to find an embassy to apply for the scheme and then cross back into Afghanistan in order to be evacuated, which just seems utterly bizarre. So, you know, government is, is largely driving people to unsafe and unlawful routes, um, and then and then, sort of complains about it. We seem to be creating a rather cynical catch-22.
1: Yes, and we saw um, Ms Braverman being held up to a degree of scrutiny in one of the parliamentary committees by a Conservative MP who asked her very straightforwardly, what is the legal route for some of these people to come here? And she didn't have an answer. And she doesn't have an answer, as I say, because she's not really in charge of her own brief. She's in charge of making a few kind of incendiary headlines and talking about an invasion, which it certainly isn't. Yeah. So you can't solve problems if you don't face up to the reality of the problem and you simply keep changing the the, the, the kind of tone of what it's about. We know what it's about. And with Afghanistan in particular, the United Kingdom has let so many people down. It seems to me beyond unfortunate that we haven't done more.
0: Now, Gavin, ordinarily at this point, we'd devote the last five minutes of the podcast looking at the stories for the week ahead. But as things wind down for the holidays, I thought we would do a little crystal ball gazing, seeing as this is the last start your week of the year. What do we
1: think will be the big overarching stories of next year? Wow. I think I hope Ukraine remains a big overarching story until Putin either falls, which I, I don't hold out much hope for, or at least uh, we, we get some kind of peace. I think 2022 uh, has already been a bad year for dictators. I mean, Xi Jinping has got the, the troubles and it'd be very interesting to see how, how that develops. Brexit is back. It will be one of the big stories of 2023. And I think also actually the questions about the Commonwealth and therefore about the monarchy. Will more Commonwealth countries decide to go the way of Barbados and say, you know, we're happy to be in this loose association of 50-something countries, but do we really want a monarch who's resident in Britain to be our head of state? So I think -hmm. those those will be big stories. And I think there will also be, you know, we'll have inquiries into Boris Johnson. We'll have perhaps find out more about PPE and some strange dealings about um, who got what amount of money for... For equipment that didn't work. So those those yeah. kind of stories will continue. And the strikes will continue. Those the, the, those yeah. would be my kind of obvious predictions, but there'll be things that yeah. obviously neither of us have thought of.
0: Yes, I was going to ask do, do you have anything that's slightly more off-left field that is making your spidey sense tingle a little bit? Because if we if I had asked this question last year this time, no one would have predicted. Ukraine? If I had asked this question three years ago this time, no one would have predicted COVID. And so what is the unlikely
1: big story, as it were? Well, I, mm, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know. if well, I've got one which might happen, actually. I'd be very interested to see what happens in the Democratic Party in 2023 with Joe Biden. I mean, He's certainly better than Trump, but is he really going to run for another term? And if so, it, I can't imagine it will be Kamala Harris will get the nomination uh, by for twenty twenty four. So the presidency of the United States is obviously something that should be in all our all our minds. And twenty twenty three, the year before the the election, is when things are actually a lot of important things are are decided. My left field story would be finally, finally, people will realize that crypto is just a form of gambling. And uh, I take the Warren Buffett view. I don't know if you saw Warren Buffett and one of his colleagues. Yes. They were very amusing about the problems with cryptocurrencies. And I know one or two people who 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 are, how would you say, crypto evangelists. And I think they're nuts, I'm afraid. They're lovely people. They happen to be a couple of friends. <laughs> of mine. But I cannot understand... I can't maybe 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 because I can't actually understand crypto. And I also when they talk about non-fungible tokens I always go the thing about money is it's fungible. You can spend it on anything you like. If it's a non-fungible token what is the point? So maybe at last mm. we will see the emperor of crypto has got no clothes. Okay, final question.
0: Percentage chance of a general election in
1: 2023. Gosh, that's uh Well, the secret weapon of the Conservative Party has always been loyalty, hasn't it? And uh, since there's sections of it who can't stand Rishi Sunak, who would have predicted, you know, you said we couldn't have predicted much of 2022. I couldn't have predicted Liz Truss. I could have predicted she would be a disaster, I think. (laughs) But I couldn't have predicted that anybody would be daft enough to make her prime minister of our country. So you can't rule out a general election. I think the Tories will, I mean, their secret weapon isn't loyalty. Their secret weapon is a degree of selfishness about their own seats. So they will want to hang on till 2024, unless, you know, well, the, 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 self, the self-destruction of Liz Truss was quite something. So you can't rule anything out. But I don't think we'll have an election until the last possible moment. I think Rishi will hang on.
0: Yeah, so I disagree Mm. with you. I don't know that we will have an election next year, but I don't think he will hang on until the last possible moment, simply because strategically the one big gun that a sitting prime minister has is the timing of the election. I mean, it is the one bit of strategic advantage that resides with a sitting prime minister to surprise the opposition at a time that is better for his or her party. And I think the more you let that get to the wire, the the more you don't have that, the more everyone knows when the election will be and can prepare and fill their coffers for it. And so I think the election will be slightly earlier than everyone is anticipating, whether that will be next year or very early in 2024, I don't know, but that would be my my uh, sense would be between late summer next year and very early spring the year after, I think he will make a move.
1: Well, that's, yeah. I mean, you're possibly right, probably right, Eden. The thing is, that's one of the many things that's rotten about the British system of governance. I mean, we did have the Fixed-Term Parliaments Act, which was passed by the 2010 coalition to keep them together. And Boris Johnson repealed it. Now, that's how we do constitutional change. A uh, prime minister just decides, I'm not having that. It doesn't suit me. And we'll go back to the mm. what we had before so I can decide when to have an election. Now, isn't there something rot- fundamentally rotten about that? But I yes, agree with the premise is. of what you said. But it's, there. But, but it's there and
0: it's in, it's in his armoury. And, and so I think he'd be a fool not to use it in some way. True. Gavin, thanks for getting up so early to join me today.
1: Thank you. I, I get up early anyway.
0: That was Start Your Week out every Monday morning from the bunker. If you want to thank us for getting up to record this in near pitch blackness and I don't get up very early, unlike Gavin, you can back us on Patreon for as little as £3. You'll get episodes early and ad-free access to exclusive merchandise and a shout-out, some of which are coming up
1: right now. Gavin, take it away. We'd like to thank David James, Rahid, Alistair Keith, Tom Cunningham, Jinbo, David Wood, and Merrick Angler.
0: Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with the Bunker Daily and Start Your Week. will return on Tuesday, the third of January. I look forward to seeing you there. Start Your Week from the Bunker was written and presented by Alexandre with Gavin Esler. The producer was Kasia Tomashevich, with audio production by me, Jay Bailey. The group editor was Andrew Harrison, with music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.